Welcome to this week's Money and Investing show. This week we are looking at the topic of a new wave of investors. Generation Millennial coming into the marketplace. Young, hungry, tech savvy, gamified, and making a killer. What can we learn from this? And more importantly, how can we make it sustainable? Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show with me, your host Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider, Mr. Mitchell Laurentiu. Looking rather dapper this morning, Mr. B. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Something a little bit more relatable to being other than well-dressed, and that is the new wave of investors. People at my age, in their 20s, getting into the stock market and getting trading. They are, and they are doing it on mass, Mitch. I mean, some of the great figures that we've seen recently, we'll dive into the stats in a moment, show a new generation of people getting involved with markets. Love to see this, and it's great to see uh, and there are various reasons I'm sure we'll get into as to why that is. Uh, and there are a few pitfalls too to point out. So uh, yeah, it's a great uh, shift that we've seen generationally. You know, typically you think the stock market is to do with stuffy old people wearing a sports coat, uh, <laughs> sitting in a gentleman's club, but that certainly has changed. Uh, and it's changed for the better in my opinion with uh, a new generation of people coming in, more liquidity, different types of strategy, and of course, much, much more opportunity for those of us that know what we're doing. Exactly right. And it's never been easier to get invested with new platforms and the way that the, yeah. the, the funding of those occurs and the mechanics behind mm -hmm. those. I guess a good place to start to provide some contrast on this episode is to talk more about the typical investor that we once thought. You mentioned mm -hmm. old gentlemen sitting in a in a gentleman's club, the one percenters, the rich guys. Yeah. Not necessarily the case anymore. It hasn't. It's been a seismic shift, not just this year, but over the last few years. More and more people getting self-directed, more and more women in their own right, investing in the stock market. That trend has been going on for a little bit of time now. But the big one, of course, are the under-25s. Uh, and the advent of different technology, and we've seen in the media various trading platforms that have uh, made it gamified, I suppose, and, and more fun uh, to trade. One of them, they've got a terrific marketing slogan, we're not your dad's broker. And it, it truly sums it up, they're not. And, and that whole gamification has appealed to people in a different way. It's not old and stuffy, things are moving quickly, there's immediate gratification, uh, and it's done in a format that certainly has resonated massively uh, with your generation. It absolutely has, and that's why we're seeing such a shift into investing, despite being young. You know, it might only be a small portfolio size, yeah. but the fact that they're actually in and having a crack is the main thing. Now, you and I did some digging on a report from 2020, which is last year, but nonetheless, that's the data we have to work off. On the three, well, do you know something? I've got a, I've got a hot off the press update. You go through your numbers. I'll, I'll go show through, you mine, and then we'll go through yours. All right, that sounds like a plan. So, really, three carry three profiles of investors mm -hmm. that the ASX have classified is your next gen, so mm -hmm. young people, females, because mm -hmm. that's a massively growing sector there yeah. as well, and then your high value investors. Mm -hmm. Let's chat about all three of those. Okay, so if we talk about female investors in the first instance, um, it's interesting in terms of the number. I think the median account size was about ninety grand, about ninety thousand um, dollars. Trade around about five times a year, so not only yep. active. Average trade size around about five thousand dollars. Sure. Um, so you know that's a fairly conservative approach for a ninety grand account to be taking fairly small slices of the cake, five grand a pop, and and, and maybe about five times a year. Um, but that reflects something I've known and we've talked about in this podcast previously. Yeah, women tend to be better traders than men because they're more risk averse. So that's a that's quite a conservative um, approach. But then of course, yeah, that's a huge generalization too. Stats. Uh, cover a myriad of sins underneath, but they're the sort of headline numbers. Uh, and, and that's quite different to what we would traditionally see. If we look at the higher end, uh, the more traditional part of the market, um, you know, your average, um, previously average typical stock market investor, 55 male, $1.2 million account, average trade size about $17,000, and trades maybe you know, 20 times a year. 
um, and that will be the typical frequency. So that's the old guard, which is still there. By the way, about 40% of them run their own super, and, and that trend is continuing to grow. Females, tell me about your generation. What are the numbers look like? The next gen, okay, well, the next gen actually has an average age of just 21 years old. So very, very young to being in the market. Mm. Only a $5,000 average account size. So relatively small amount of funds to be working with and about a $4,000 average trade size. So, so pretty having good. a bit of a punt, that's Having right. a go and being aggressive, which is a distinction, as I say, from typical female investors. And I think it's important to note that if you are young, you can afford to take those risks. If you're 21 and you lose a thousand or 2,000 bucks on a trade, it's not a big deal. It's happened to me plenty of times before. I've taken some bark off and that's okay because I know I'm young and I can make it back you know, in space in no time at all. Mm. Exactly right, and, and, and those figures reveal yeah, quite a big shift. Here's, here's an update to that. So those numbers from 2020. Um, over the last 12 months, so going in for the, through the pandemic period, uh, we've saw 435,000 new people getting stuck into the stock market here in Australia, which is a huge move. 435,000 new people placing their first trade, which is terrific. We love new people coming into this space. We'll talk about some of the pitfalls of that shortly. We'll also talk about why they'd probably come into it. Um, but here's the gig. Out of that 435,000, 20% of them age 25 or under. It's nearly 100,000 people thereabouts getting into the getting into the market yeah. below 25. Exactly right. And then if you look at the next 50%, that's an age group of 25 to 39. So again, there's been a big push down uh, in age group of your typical investor. So it's great to see younger people in there. Um, as I say, you know, a lot of the new trading platforms that have gamified things and made it more interesting. You know, crypto has certainly piqued people's interest in investing in markets. Um, you know, all the stuff around GameStop uh, and, and Wall Street bets is also in some work in that space. But those sort of things are also um, you know, carry a level of risk that we'll talk about in a moment. Personally speaking, I think one of the biggest drivers is really twofold. One, interest rates are so low, you have to put your money somewhere. You can't save it in cash because you're making no return on it in a meaningful way. And secondly, you know, the property market, if you're looking at first-time buyers, is really creeping away uh, from people having the ability to get started at that young age. So if you can't get into property because it's too expensive and perhaps the bank of mum and dad don't want to underwrite your mortgage, um, then you've got to do something. And the stock market is something that's popped up. It's current, it's fun with the new apps, and it's certainly topical with things like GameStop. It's certainly a lot easier to lay down five grand in a trading account than to put down, say, 50 or 100 grand for a house deposit. Mm. And that's not even barely covering a 20% deposit when you think about the median house price being somewhere around eight, 900,000 in most mm. suburbs. Yeah. It's crazy. For people our age, it is really, really tough to overcome that hurdle. Mm. In the meantime, getting yourself invested where your money's at least growing mm. is a prudent decision to make, albeit one of the downfalls because we know we can be young and stupid, we can make plenty of those. Yeah, look, you don't have the t-shirt on that, but you remember those days too. I'm still <laughs> stupid, not young. Um, the, um, the, and it's interesting, I was just taking my barista this morning and he's in crypto with his brother and you know, they've just gone through 80 grand on the, on the, on the Bitcoin. So there's an enormous, it's the topic of conversation. So younger people are embracing this because they're seeing the opportunity. The pitfall is that what we've seen, if we talk about say Wall Street bets and GameStop, this has been massively covered in the media. If you haven't heard what I'm talking about, just do a Google on it. Um, that type of investing is one I suspect you're going to find the regulator is going to close down fairly quickly. You know, you've had a, a big win against the Wall, uh, you know, Wall Street Titans or the hedge fund industry, how we would describe it. But a lot of bruised egos. We've covered this in a previous podcast, and I don't think that notion of being able to manipulate price in the way that it's been pushed along is something that's going to continue to happen without the regulator having a, a pretty good look at it. And in doing that, also looking at the broking firms which facilitate that kind of transaction. So you know, there, there'll be a natural check and balance comes into play. You know, my experience in this game for 30 years, 
um, regulation tends to lag a little bit behind what's going on, but ultimately it always catches up. So you know, there's that uh, great story then, whether it's something that's more sustainable as a style of investing uh, with a group of individuals manipulating markets, I doubt, because those user groups uh, will get infiltrated by the big guys anyway, so they'll see what's coming and be able to manage their portfolios accordingly. Um, the other side of the, the, the coin um, from that, I mean, it's great to see that style of investing, um, is that there have been some big returns in, in arguably blue chip shares too. Um, you know, if you look at just something really stodgy like the Australian banks, I don't think stodgy in a derogatory way about the business, but you know, you wouldn't describe, you know, how I invest in blue chip banks as being a pretty cutting edge way of investing. Yet you're seeing 40, 50% return very, very quickly in those stocks. Think about Afterpay, um, you know, great rise up, great rise down, or sorry, great rise up, great pullback that we're seeing right now. Sure. Um, you know, and, and, and that's exciting and it provides a level of immediate gratification for investors, which is something that definitely ticks the box for a younger generation that do want to see results far more quickly. So these fast moving markets that we've seen over the last 12 months have really hit a core. It's not been a steady grind 6% over the course of the year, it's been banned and it's happened now. Uh, and that's been something that's really ticked a lot of boxes there. Will it stay that way? I don't know. And for people that have made some good money doing that, first of all, love hearing people's success. Nothing drives me more than hearing people making money. I love to hear that. And the younger you are, the better as far as I'm concerned, because you can set yourself up for life if you're smart. But it's how you parlay what your next move looks like. So let's say for argument's sake, you did start with five grand uh, and on the ding dong low uh, in the market, you picked up Afterpay at eight bucks and you got out of it at $120. It went up way past that to 150 so and it's pulled back. But let's say you did that, taking eight to 120, you've got a pretty decent return on your money. So, you know, your, your five grand's now worth closer to 60 grand. Great trade, great profit. And all of a sudden, then, hey, I've got this investing down path. It happened to be that you're in the right place at the right time. And at some point, skill and luck need to balance out. So what I'd encourage anybody to do if they've had a level of success in the current market, and it's been a good market to trade, is to take a portion of that profit and invest on learning how to actually hold on to that wealth, learn how to manage risk, and learn how to build a proper process so that you can make that sustainable over the long term. It's a great example because all of a sudden someone was given a fish and they ate for a day, mm. whereas learning actually how to fish will ensure that you eat yeah. for the lifetime. Mm. It's a really, it's a stupid analogy, but it kind of works in this instance because yes, you've made good profit there, great, celebrate your win, go out for a beer mm. with the boys, but then ensure that you are parlaying that into learning a process yeah. because ultimately, as you said, this, this stuff can set you up for life. Yeah, and, and, and you've just got to take the time and push ego. We just got off a support call with a client just a little earlier. Being able to push that ego to the side and, and, and see things for what they are is really, really important. And there's nothing wrong with being lucky. And it's one of those things though, you weren't lucky, you opened an account, you funded it and you clicked the buy button. So that wasn't luck. There was a number of steps that sort of went through to facilitate that. Maybe there was some fortunate uh, stock selection in there or instrument section that helped push things along and you can't rely on that fortune all the time sometimes it all matters the other way so you definitely have to sort of beef up your skill set best investment you'll ever make is always in yourself to learn how to do this learn from people that do it for a living learn stuff that's time tested as opposed to something that's worked for the last 12 months uh, and you're going to set yourself up for that next move in markets whatever it might look like and, and as i say i'm not a huge fan of some of those platforms uh, in terms of what they do and how they operate they're very good businesses, and maybe there's a tinge of envy that that's their business model versus what ours is. <laughs> but just going out and buying a Smeg Portofino stove doesn't turn you into a chef. You've got the tool, but you've got to know how to use that tool in a very, very careful way uh, to uh, be able to generate consistent kind of results on there. Because at 60 grand, if you parlay it the right way, it could become 600 next time around. 
600,000 that is. Then you're really talking. Or that 60 grand could become $600 if you don't know what you're doing. So it's a very, very important next move. And because there's an extra zero, that stress, that emotional uh, impact on your decision-making can really override the logic or the process that you've built if you haven't built that muscle memory and that skill set to re-back things up. Okay, now to play devil's, devil's advocate here and challenge you, AB, social media plays a massive part in a lot of the investment decisions that people my age are deciding to make. Mm. It wasn't so long ago that we saw you know, Nikola Motors being advertised on TikTok mm. for people to then go in and buy those shares or, or invest in the company, which was totally ludicrous, right? Yeah, well, it didn't turn out too well, did it? No, it didn't turn out well at all. And, and there's a telltale example of, of mm. why you don't do that. So. How do you, A, remove the influence of social media because it can be quite strong, and then B, actually formulate your own investing strategy? Mm. I think offsetting or eliminating the, the impact of social media will be like us saying, you can't have Netflix anymore, you've got to go back to VHS. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Um, but it's something to be very minded of at the same time. Uh, and, and I think, you know, in the interest, uh, and this is something that's done very, very well in the US, uh, the regulations under the SEC over in the US, which is this prison uh, exchange committee. Um, the, um, the process they have, if you've got a position in a stock and you're putting any kind of commentary out, you, you have to disclose that you're long or short that stock to be transparent. And those sort of regulations need to carry across all kinds of broadcasting, whether that's through a user group on Reddit or whether it's through a Facebook post or any other form uh, of social media for that matter. There needs to be, and this is what I'm saying about regulation needs to catch up with the the pace of information flow that's out there. Uh, and that's something that will happen, I'm sure. And, and, and the social media companies are gonna to have to be held accountable if they're broadcasting that kind of information to make sure that it's compliant with the law. It's a tough one because you want to fuel that open discussion about what people are doing because it motivates more and more people to become invested, which is healthy. But then there's those pitfalls and those dangers of getting caught up in, in mass media and really mm. making the wrong decision. Mm. Look, it's like anything, there's a, there's a moral obligation too. If you're in markets, um, it, it has to be a level playing field. And if you Joe Bag of Donuts at a barbecue talking about a stock, or whether your Joe Bag of Donuts is online doing the same thing, um, you know, if you are maneuvering and manipulating the price of that stock, it is illegal and the regulation will have to catch up with that. It's as simple as that. That said, you know, regulations don't simply have to catch up, they also have to evolve. You can't just go, well, that's how it's always been. Regulation has to evolve to encompass you know, the spirit of different types of communication. And, and user groups and forums and things like that that you see on social media are certainly something that maybe needs a different set of lenses to look at it. So look, we're happy for this to go on. However, there is a code of conduct that has to be observed if you're going to play in this space. And if you don't observe that code of conduct, you're in breach of the rules just like somebody else that's uh, you know, in a newspaper column or a newsletter or an advisory service or in a more professional capacity providing advice. It's a, it's a challenging landscape, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So to, to kind of get towards the end of this broadcast, AB, I want you to imagine that you're sitting in front of a 21-year-old who's not yet, not yet invested, almost. <laughs> I am sitting in front of a 21-year-old. Something like that, um, who, who's not yet invested, but understands the importance of doing mm. so. There's that hurdle of overcoming and really mm. putting something down on the line, getting your account funded. What, are your, what is your advice? Look, I think in that instance, firstly, congratulations for being open to that. There's plenty of other distractions at 21 that you could go down uh, that, that perhaps are a little bit less constructive. And I think, you know, just get started for sure, because it's easy to provide excuses and say, look, if this is the 23 point checklist to do before you start, you'll never get started. So in some respects, you're better off just jumping in and actually getting that momentum of having started and have some fun with it. You know, when we're younger, everything we do should be fun. Uh, as we get older, responsibilities change <laughs> and it becomes a little bit uh, less of fun and perhaps more mature in some respects. So, you know, I think in that respect, just get started 
and, and have some fun with it. But also recognize that having fun with it is very different from running into business. And if you do have a level of success, you've got to put some form of structure around that and turn it from being a hobby into a business because ultimately hobbies cost money, businesses make money. So you know, get in, get started, have a bit of a punt around, see what it feels like. And if it's something you like, um, then add some structure and process in, not to take the fun out of it, but to provide checks and balances to make sure that your risk management is in place and that there's a systemic approach that you're using that you can duplicate over time. That is how you make money with this and that's how you stay wealthy rather than just make a bit and then give it all away. It really is quite simple. You've just got to have a crack and then once you start you know, getting that flywheel turning, the hard stuff when it comes to structures and tax can all be sorted out later and get yourself hundred percent. Paying tax is a quality problem. We're going to see the accountant in a minute. Ta ta <laughs> paying, taxes, paying tax is a quality problem there. You know, and that should be the, the parameter should be how much can I pay? Try and pay as much as you can, obviously minimize it as much as you can, but um, you know, the, the bigger the number, you must be making some coins somewhere. And if I was having this conversation in a, a different context, you know, um, a, 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 a different kind of level, we'd always say to people, look, make sure you get started right first time. But then typically in that conversation, we're not dealing with someone that's young and enthusiastic and just eager to get out of the blocks and they don't want to be constrained with all the red tape and, and all of the procedural stuff let people just get going. And if you find yourself, um, you know, think about it, if you've got a new hobby, let's say, um, you know, you, you decided that you enjoy riding a bike for argument's sake. Let's say, great, glad you enjoy riding a bike, don't put it in the garage, we need to spend five weeks doing a theoretical course on how to <laughs> ride a bike, and then you gotta do your ticket, and then you gotta do this, and you gotta do that. And then you can only ride it in the daylight uh, on flat ground. You're gonna go, well, I'll find a different hobby. That's university, yeah. right? You, you've gotta just go, if you found something you're interested in, push that through but not at the expense of never getting the formal side backed up and learned. Get started, get some momentum, enjoy it, and while you're doing that stuff, to formalize it, don't have that barrier to entry. And if we circle back to the surge in growth that we've seen from younger people getting into markets, I think probably the overarching reason why that growth has been there is that there is no barrier to entry. Transactional fees are, pay, are paper thin these days. You don't have to have a big account balance to do anything. Information is free and easy across social media. And it's something for, for the first time, I think, which is, a current topic that you can have with your mates in that age group and not seem like a bit of a geek because now it's the thing that people are talking about. Whereas if you wind the clock back 10, 20 years, barriers to entry, you've got to have X amount of money to open a broken account, your fees are going to be crippling. And, and if you have that conversation at 20, 21 years of age, you're going to be alienated and none of your friends are going to want to be around you because you're a bit weird. Things change over time. And that's exactly what we're seeing. And that drop of barrier to entry is brilliant. Now, as people that are market professionals and people that steward and coach and mentor people in this space, Agile, I think, is to take people that have started that pathway and not steer it in a different direction, but continue to massage that pathway into a more formal structure to ensure long-term success. And that's where I see a great opportunity for both um, you know, younger people getting into markets and organizations like ours to be that you know, responsible steward, if you like, to help guide. This is what I'll probably do next based on what I know. The old bull and the young calves, just like myself. Looking forward to that, AB. Thank you very much. It's, it's certainly a really good rundown. And really seeing 100,000 new entrants to the market, less than 25 last year here in Australia, is huge. It's a massive trend, it's a paradigm in the way that it's worked. It's great to see. And if we see the property market continue to run as we have, that trend will only continue one way for stocks. And there's more and more people are going to be um, kind of pushed by default into that space. And that's great news for us. And it's great news for the investors that choose to do that. Absolutely. Thanks very much, AB. Absolute pleasure to get your take on this one. Any comments? There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll see you on next week's broadcast.